Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Unapologetically Joy. My name is Joy, I'm the host of this podcast and today we've got another special guest and that is Jay, the soul coach. And he's a spiritual life coach and love, kindness and energy are his core principles. So welcome Jay. Well, thank you very <laughs> much for having me and um, just one thing not life coach i'm not a life coach and expect and i'm really really i'm yeah, so yeah. glad that's come up because that's a really poignant part oh, of my perfect. journey okay um the reason i traded as started labeling myself as even a soul coach is because funnily enough in regards to the life coach i did do a life coach course and to shout out quickly mindful talent which is the name of the company that i went on that course with but it's really interesting when i went on that coaching course I had been previously coached myself and the guy that coached me was like you know the work you're doing you are a coach you should become a coach however I didn't want to become a coach what I did want I wanted what I saw in him which was as I'd funny enough spoke to you previously before we went live yeah <laughs> this guy I'd known for a long time and this change in him what I wanted was the peace he was so at ease in himself when I knew him he was a snot-nosed rookie, little PT, coming into London. And now I meet him 12 years later, he comes back into my life at a really poignant time, which we'll be talking about. And he's like this, I used to call him Yoda, you know, from Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, little yeah. Yoda, because yeah. he'd have these one-line sentences, like, you know, just find peace in the moment. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> what, what is peace? What are you talking? <laughs> and, and so anyway, so sorry, just uh, uh, the reason I... I, I, I keep away from the, the label of life coach is really honest to be honest because I I haven't lived your life you haven't lived mine I couldn't coach you on your life because I've not experienced it mm. however and this is the beautiful thing about individuality and and best self is there's eight billion people currently on earth that's what they tell us okay that's eight billion different people of different ages everyone has got their own individual story Everyone has got, you know, there'll be different colors, different creeds. Some people will be rich. Some people will be poor. There's all these differences. However, if you took away language and the noises we make, if you said to someone, how is your experience as a human being? You'd have to say, well, I love, I, I feel kindness. I feel loss. I feel sorrow. I feel joy. I feel gratitude. It's feelings. Mm -hmm. And yeah. feelings come from me. That's, that's the soul. That's the truth of every individual is their feelings. That's the part that unifies the human existence is, and even animals, animals feel. They haven't got mm. language, but we know, look at all you pet owners out there that have dogs and cats or squirrels mm. or, you know, you feel that, that relationship with your pet, that's nothing to do with language, that's feeling. So mm. it was with the work that I was doing at that point with, again, relevant to someone I just told you with a young girl yeah. who helped me come up with the name soul coach so mm. i am a soul coach and the reason i can coach on feelings is because i feel too so that's mm. why i went with with that label amazing so, yeah <laughs> amazing <laughs> sorry about that no it's, it's okay of course <laughs> it's an amazing explanation and on your website you're saying um i constantly lost my soul and then i find it again and your life has been a roller coaster and um, yeah, one of my friends introduced you to me and I was really happy about it. Uh, and we're now in uh, Torremolinos, actually, in Malaga. And you also live here uh, really close by. I do. Yeah. I do. 
And um, I would like to go to the beginning of okay. your life. Um, no how was Jay as a child? So um, what I'm going to do is because, as you already know, there's quite a lot of different things. Yeah. I'm going to hit with the punchy points. And just for anyone that listens to this, what I would ask is, and this is something, and the reason I'm asking this, by the way, is because it took me 27 years to be able to say to myself what I'm about to say. So what mm -hmm. I'd say to people is, is try not to get, if anything I say sounds a bit punchy or a bit sad or a bit, <gasps> try not to get caught up in the emotion. Try and just observe the information from a perspective of not gauging how you would feel if that was you. And there's a relevance to this. So I grew up in a very working class area of East London. I'm classed, the way I talk is very specific. It's called Cockney in East okay. London. So there's like different parts of London have a different sort of way of talking slang, obviously. Um, this, this particular um, type of East London upbringing, what was nice about it was Cockneys, we're taught to be very respectful to our elders. Very, it's very, you know, open the door for ladies. It was very like a respectful, you'd be a gentleman, but you're just poor sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, that was my beginnings. It was very working class. What was a big part of my childhood massive in fact was religion so obviously as a child and i think it's fair to say this most kids that you know prior to the age of let's just say six years old you can't really logically say they've got a choice in becoming religious there's a influence which will normally come from your mum or your dad so i was influenced very heavily through christianity um indirectly through the church there was someone who ended up grooming me um, and I went through, um, I got sexually abused as a child and I, I, a lot of it, I don't remember all of it. There's certain things I obviously do. The, the way I was groomed was with alcohol, which would cause black, cause blackouts for me, um, which again plays a part in the story as this goes on. So I never told my mum and dad that was happening, which of course I wish I had. However, everything happens for a reason. This, these are things I now know. Um, so I held all that inside, which of course you're not built to process that stuff at a young age, you're innocent, you know, this stuff's not meant to be happening, you're not supposed to be getting hurt, you, these things you're not supposed to be doing and they're not supposed to be done to you. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how to work that out. So what happened is that led on to a very wayward teenage years um, where I got involved in drugs, both taking drugs and selling drugs. I got in trouble with the police for the first time in my life when I was 18 years old and I ended up getting a five-year prison sentence. Now, during this time, sort of going back to when I was 15, 16, my mum and dad split up. My younger brother, Paul, started going through a really bad mental breakdown at that point. And when I got arrested and I, I knew I was going to prison, uh, as I said, I got a five-year sentence, I actually, I ran off. I did what in English we call, I did a runner. And I, I left from England uh, and I ran off to Ireland. Uh, okay. And I was in Ireland for about a year and a half, which was a really interesting experience because as a young man, that was the first time I'd ever been on my own at that mm. point. So I didn't have mum, didn't have dad, even though they mm. were split up, you know, I didn't have my brothers. I, like I was on my own. I had to fend for mm. myself. So you can actually think for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, learn to do the washing up and wash your clothes. Oh, yeah, and, course, and, like, yeah. and I did, you know, I, um, I, I suppose I used that as distractions as well. I wanted to take care of myself. So I was in Ireland. A lot of stuff happened in Ireland. Um, I ended up having to leave Ireland, uh, coming back to England. 
and then someone saw me back in England uh, who contacted the police and that's when I got uh, t taken to uh, back to court and I went to prison. And uh, I got a five-year sentence. I actually served three years, and well, just under three years, and I got out on what's called parole because I was a first-time offender. Um, I got let out halfway, well, just over halfway of the prison sentence. Now, what was interesting, whilst I was in prison, I actually studied Islam. I, studied, I, studied, I started studying personal training because just for the record, the, what I went to prison for was uh, violence. And what they said was, um, some of the other in inmates inside was, look, you're a young man, study fitness. Because when you get out of prison, you know, for a long time, that's going to be on your record. And the best place to start is gyms. Gyms will employ uh, ex-prisoners. Mm -hmm. So I studied to become a personal trainer. I studied the advanced level uh, in personal training. Absolutely loved it. I got really fit whilst I was in prison. I was able to continue football because, of course, you're able to play football in the prison grounds. And, yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and, again, I didn't realise it at the time, but... It shows you how egotistical and even stereotypically racist uh, in certain aspects. Now, just for the record, uh, I, my children are of mixed race. My wife's Iranian, so I, I'm not racist. However, we all have our moments and I'll explain mine. Mm. I was in the prison cell with this really young, fit, massive, built um, black guy called Kay, who was a lovely, lovely fella as well. But, you know... He looked the part. <laughs> and uh, one day he started praying uh, in, in, in the cell. He got down on his knees and he started praying uh, to Allah. And I was, it completely, I was, it was the last thing in the world I thought I would see Kay doing. And I said to him, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, what do you mean? I'm praying. I said, praying? And of course, bearing in mind, the reason I was, I was very much anti-religion at that point as well, because like I said, my, my abuser, it was all through the church, which mm. is, as a kid, I was forced to go to church. So it was very much something that was, I begrudged. Yeah. I didn't have any time for. You so get triggered a, or, yeah. Triggered, yeah. much, thank you, yeah. Joy, much better word. It was a big trigger point. Yeah. But in that cell with Kay, he was so present in the way he just said it. It was just nothing, so nonsense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Muslim. I've, I've been practicing. And I was thinking, and, I said, and I, of course, ignorance, I'm taking the piss out of him. Shut up, you're a Muslim. But he said, bruv, he said, come to one of the prayer meetings. I said, there's no way. Uh, he said, please. He said, come to one of the prayer meetings. And what was really interesting, I saw this as an opportunity almost to get back at my dad. Because growing up, the way I'd been taught Christianity was that if you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a good person. If you're not a Christian, the, the specific form of christianity that i was programmed was programmed into me was called um, a born again christian which mm -hmm. is the type of christian because you know there's multi-faceted christian types yeah. of layers well this particular one it was a case of that you you said a prayer to accept the lord jesus christ as your savior and once mm -hmm. you did that then you was going to heaven that was that was what the the deal was so mm -hmm. my point is is it really strict too? Very yeah. strict. Very okay. strict. Because it was so strict. My, my dad's parents, so my grandparents, who were and are, God rest their souls, two of the most beautiful examples of love I've ever experienced. My nanny Mannion and my, my granddad Mannion. They even came up in there, which I feel, I, I hold so much shame about this. And at the same time, it was one of the moments where there was the shame 
and just the awe I had for these two people was when they came to visit me in prison. That it was, they was old and they came up, they, they drove three and a half hours from where they lived in East London to where I was in prison at that point to come and visit me. Mm. And I, I didn't, I forgot of all the tough guys in that room that because on the prison visiting room, of course, every, you know, there's lots of people out there getting visits mm. at the same time. Everyone just disappeared. And I, like, I was just fought to hold back the tears because I was just, I was so grateful for having them as my grandparents and the fact that they'd come to see me, how wonderful they are. And then I was so ashamed of, of being where I was at that mm. point and them being, doing what they did to come and see me. But my point is, sorry, I digressed a bit, um, is with, with this form of Christianity, well, my nan and granddad Mannion, my dad's parents, they were Catholic. They weren't mm. Christian. So according to this Christianity, they're going to hell. You know, and mm. it wasn't just my, my nan and granddad on my, my dad's side, but my mum's side of the family, none of them were religious. So apparently my granddad Lo and my granddad, uh, and my, my nanny Lo, apparently they're gone to hell. Mm. You know, that, there's no way around it. You couldn't, you couldn't be, you know, there's not a grey area. There's mm. not, and the truth is that, is, that is the case for a lot of religions. There will be a part, don't get me wrong, they'll all teach, you know, do not kill, do not steal, treat other people how you want to be treated yourself. Do you know what? For me, they are godlike qualities that are inherent in human beings anyway. Mm. We don't need a book to tell us. Don't you know? Mm. Don't steal off someone. Don't kill anyone. Treat others with love. Mm. These are ba just watch kids. Kids yeah. do that without mm. any religion. They just fucking do it. They crack on yeah. and they do it. Mm. What we tend to do with things like religions, and again, I'm not anti-religious. I'm anti-division. Anything mm. that is any way divides people, especially with it being built on a message of love, but then in, in part of that story is, but if you don't follow this book and pray this way and worship this name, then you're not, that's for me, that's like a gang mentality. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was finding in that moment with Kay back in that prison cell, it was all of the things at once. I was like, do you know what, dad? You, like all them years, you told me basically anything covered in Christians is going to hell. Well, I like this guy. I didn't think he was a Muslim. He turns out to be a Muslim. I'm going to go to a prayer meeting. I ended up, fast forwarding that story, I ended up reading the Quran. I ended up doing two Ramadans whilst I was in prison. I ended up doing my Shahada whilst I was in prison, which is the conversion prayer to go to Islam. So I did all of that because I fell in love at that point. Again, it just shows you how the right word i want to make sure i'm careful with the word. it just shows you how like i said those innate inherent wonderful things that can you imagine so i'm now in prison i'm in a prayer room with mostly black or asian people mm -hmm. that are all accepting me and showing me love and in these meetings there was no talk of hate there mm -hmm. was no talk of anything anti-islam excuse me mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, you get that euphoric rush, you get them endorphins, serotonin mm. releases in your brain, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, and this is where it's, it's slightly comical. Prison food is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it is but I awful. also see it in movies, but right. this is the same. Right. It, it's, it, is as, it is awful. Like, it is as bad as you can ever imagine. Oh and lots of people do get sick food poisoning in prison because it's crap. Mm. Um, anyway. I didn't know because I'd 
converted to Islam, when Ramadan came around, there was Asian lads that was actually given proper Indian food to cook. So when Ramadan was broken every evening, when the officer or screws, as we call them, would come and knock on the door, you'd have curry and naan. And and you can imagine in prison again, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. So anyway, going off subject. So in prison, I studied Islam, studied personal training. Uh, I came out of prison. I got a job now in, in fact, I know they, the, that this brand of gym was in Holland. Fitness First. Okay. You, have you heard of it? They was in Holland as well. They, they was all over Europe. They was based, oh, yes, yeah, I know. They was yeah. based out of London mainly, yeah. but then they was yeah. in Manchester. And it was also in, in Spain, in uh, France, and I'm sure in, in Holland. But anyway, I ended up getting a job in one of the main ones in central London. In fact, it was classed as the, the, the hub of Europe. It was called um, the Cotton Centre. And it was on... So in London, I'm sure you've heard of the London Dungeons. Yes, and yeah. And you've got Tower yeah. Bridge and London Bridge. Yes, well, yeah. In between them two bridges, you've got Tooley Street. And in, in Tooley Street, you're in the, the centre of the corporate world, basically. This is where all the banking Okay, yeah. And again, it's, it's interesting how later on down the line in these stories, all of this stuff in hindsight, I look back and think, how the corruption was everywhere around me. But I ended up getting a job right in the centre of London. The thing is, I'd spent three years in prison. Now, when I went into prison... I wasn't a criminal. Like I, I, I didn't. I wasn't from you know a world of of gangs or or I didn't know much. Yes, I'd sold a little bit of cannabis. Uh, yes, I'd, I'd to survive. I'd, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it, 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 do you know what? I, I can't even say to, to survive. It was more ego as well. Okay. Let me sell some weed. Oh you yeah. You know, like that sort of mm-hmm. bravado, all bravado. Um, but anyway, um, I lost my chain. Of, oh yeah. So what happened was, you know, when you get to prison, there's a misconception that, you know, for, for a lot of people, that prisoners are full of bad, nasty men. That's not the case. There are wonderful, beautiful men in prison. Mm. Good human beings that have sometimes just shouldn't be there and other times have made a mistake. They've made a mistake, just mm. like all of us, you know. I mean, I'm not religious, but there's certain religious texts like, you know, ye who have no sin cast the first stone. No one can mm. throw stones at anyone. We all sin. We all make bad mistakes where other people suffer. So my point is, I got to know people in prison. And whilst I was getting educated through the fitness and through the Islam, I was also getting educated in crime. Because people in there, you've got people that do drugs. You've got people that, I mean, as in sell big amounts of drugs. You've got people that, you know, that do fraud. You've got people that are a gang. Like you've got all, it's like, just like in the legal world, you've got many different sectors of business, banking, finance, <laughs> uh, mechanical, what you said, health. It's the same in crime. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely a whole world of crime. And disclaimer, I'm not glorifying crime, by the way. That's not the point. I'm just sharing my experience. So because I was quite observant, I always have been. If something tweaks my interest, I get <laughs> my, my wife always says, she, she's sure that I'm on the spectrum somewhere. I said, listen, the spectrum's so big these days, I'm sure all of us are on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. But I get very obsessive. If there's something that I see that, that tweaks my interest, I really get involved in it. And when I came out of prison, I'd been educated in crime. And I'd also made some really good friends because one of the things I talk about now, and I'm sure you've spoken about this many times on your podcast, is the importance of being present. 
mm-hmm. in the now. Yeah, and that, for sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, you hear them people when they say, oh, live in the moment, be in the now. I, I remember, if I used to hear that stuff, I'd think, what a hippie, what a tree hugger, what yeah. <laughs> live in the moment, you know, monk in the trees. Yeah. Med- that, again, completely ill-educated. However, the work I do now with the people with cancer this is the first thing, this is the first part of the journey is learning how to bring your body into a state of present, which is always, always bastardized by your ego, by the mind. Now, when I went to prison, I didn't know it then. I was scared. The day, the first day that they, so when you go to prison in England, how it works is you go from the court and I went from somewhere called Snaresbrook Crown Court, which is one of the oldest courts in the land. Mm. And after you get sentenced, you, you get taken underground and joy. Mm. It was tunnels everywhere. I was told to keep my head forward. Wow. And there was tunnels. I, I remember thinking, and it wasn't a short walk from the, <coughs> from the uh, Crown Court to the holding bay where the prison van was. I was walking for seven or eight minutes. So that's a big mm. tunnel. And there was tunnels going everywhere. The next thing you know, I'm taken up. And then I'm in the holding bay. And I get um, put onto the prison van. So you, mm-hmm. get, you get handcuffed, you get taken on to a prison van. And in the prison van, you've just got hard plastic seats, one little window. It's probably the same in Holland. One little window. I have no idea. I've never been in prison. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd have seen them on, on the motorway sometimes. Because they, yeah. that, that was part of the journey was, just, was even going from the court to the, to the prison and I'm sitting there driving through East London where I've grown up, seeing places that I've been free. And I'm looking at them as we drive into prison. Wow. That was a surreal experience. And anyway, yeah. when we got to the first prison, and how about this for more irony, the first prison I went to was Pentonville Prison, which my dad and three, three of my uncles, so four of my family in total, used to work as prison guards. Wow. Imagine that. <laughs> what a coincidence. And then um, that's the first place I go to. And the reason that's poignant is the second night I was in prison, or the third night in Pentonville, randomly in the night, my cell door got open and two prison officers came in that I'd never met before and they said, you're Martin's son, aren't you? I was like, yeah. They went, don't tell anyone that you're Martin's son. Because if anyone finds out that you're a son of a prison officer. Oh, of course, yeah. That has been here. And there's still prisoners in the, you know, there's lifers in these prisons. My dad would guard people that are going to be in prison for the rest of their life. Yeah. So if they find out, then they could take revenge on me. So you can imagine, like I said, I was already... It doesn't already... make you popular. No. no. <laughs> right. Can you imagine? So, yeah. of course, I didn't share that with anyone. But back to my point of the presence. Because, you know, fear, there's something in the human uh, makeup called fight or flight, which a lot of people have heard of. It's that when, when shit hits the fan, do you run or do you stay? So it's called fight or flight. And it's in that moment is when we get an, a pineal gland will release adrenaline. Mm. So, you know, when you get <gasps> that moment yeah. of that fear and, you get that sh- and, you, and just like, or, and the opposite of this is when something so joyful happens and you're so happy, you get that <gasps> release yeah. in that way. So the body's always in balance. Fight, flight, fear, joy, it's all very much interlinked. And because I was so scared, I was more present. I didn't know that's what it was back then, but I know now I was so present all the time out of fear. 
you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big, I was, like I said, when I, in fact, when I actually went to prison, because I, like I said, I'd gone on the run for a year and a half. The trial took some time. It was like two years later. The judge actually said to me at sentencing, I'm going to let you have your 21st birthday outside free. And then I was, I was locked up a week after I turned 21, wow, okay. which was nice of the judge. But my point is, at 21, I, I might have thought I was a man. As soon as I went to prison, <laughs> I realized, oh, my God, I'm scared. Like, I'm really scared. There was, mm. You could just see that, you know, walking into that place, hearing the noises. I mean, I saw some horrible violence in prison, stuff that mm. I'll never forget. It's just one of those places because it's such, you know, as I said before, there was beautiful people in prison. There are also some nasty people, obviously, yeah, in course, prison. Yeah, and that's yeah. the same outside of prison yeah. as well. So it's the same thing. But anyway, that, that presence, that, that all of a sudden just completely being really in the moment of what was going on. So I wasn't thinking about things that happened before then or what was going to happen next. I was just all the time alert. And I was told by people that was other inmates once I started talking to them they say they'd always say stay on your guard stay on your guard that which basically means being present like being yeah. present all the time of what's going on around you but did you freeze or did you fight in this moment well do you know what for me I I was really lucky because the first so after you get checked into prison you, you go into prison you you have a see-through bag for safety reasons they have to see like your clothes your toothbrush your your radio, whatever, you, you have that and uh, you get uh, an opportunity to go to what's called the canteen. So when you go to the canteen, you'll put stuff in your bag and then everyone can see what you've bought. Now, of course, mm -hmm. a problem in prison is bullying and, and robbing, you know, and if you're walking around, you can clearly see you're new and you're young and you look like you're shitting yourself because you are, they will take mm -hmm. advantage of that. So I knew all of these things and the first trip to the canteen as i was queuing up so you can imagine when the canteen happens in prison it's a really popular time because it's the time where you get to stock up on food to try and not eat prison food so you can buy mm. stuff like baked beans and uh you know super noodles Do you know what they are the cheap cheap noodles oh yes right? yeah, yeah in prison they're like gold dust really? because <laughs> yes because with them you get a little sachet of you know whether it be chicken flavoring or beef flavoring so you actually get flavor and the food in prison has got no flavor. So <laughs> tins of tuna and noodles in English prisons. Like I said, it's like a gourmet meal. Wow. It's like everyone. <laughs> uh, so um, as I was queuing up mm. to, to can, uh, for the canteen and there's, there's people just push, just blatantly pushing in front of me. <laughs> I just didn't say anything. I just thought, you know what? I'll get through eventually. I'm not going to start. Uh, I'm, I'm scared enough as it is. I'm not going to start arguing with people over. <laughs> excuse me you pushed in no, i don't think so no. so I, I left that and as i was in the queue so you walked there was one entrance going into the canteen and there was one exit coming out so you went in like a horseshoe okay and on the exit going out there was a group of lads that were clearly just as people were coming out robbing people taking their stuff as they was leaving the canteen no one was saying anything Wow. There was no officers around. O often, mm. every prison I went to was understaffed. So a lot of the time, there wasn't staff. This stuff just happened because there was no one around to stop it. Mm. Um, and of course, as an inmate, as a, as, as a prisoner, you can't go and tell, excuse me, officer. I've been, then you get classed as a, what's called a grass, we call it, or a snitch. 
Mm. And that's it, you're finished. Yeah. You can't, you can never do that. So as I'm watching that happening... So you have to earn the respect for these guys, from well, these guys. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, or in most cases, you just keep your mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> you just keep your okay. mouth shut. For most people, they just think, right, I just don't want to go up against it. So I'm thinking, oh, shit, like, as, as I'm going through uh, the canteen, I'm thinking, I don't even want to buy anything now. Because as I'm, I'm thinking, they're definitely going to take it off me. They've taken it off other men that are way scary looking than I'm looking. And they just took it off. So I'm thinking, oh, my God. So anyway, I've gone in. I bought a few bits. And as I was about to come out, and I literally, my heart was pounding. Because I could see in front of me, like, <laughs> what was going on. I heard someone shout, wait, is that Mannion? My second name is Mannion. So I'm thinking, like, is, is this someone who knows my dad's an officer? Oh, like, no. is this someone like, where, like, I don't know what I'm thinking, yeah. but it distracted me from the fear. And then I've got Mannion and I've looked up and it's a young guy, shout out to Daniel Reeves, his name was, who went to the same school as me and was a bully really? <laughs> back then in school. Yeah, I didn't really have any problems mm. with him at school, but he was just one of the bullies. And when he saw me, he was just really genuinely pleased to see me. Really? And oh. he was one of the guys that was taking... The food. From other oh, people. Oh, wow. So instantly, I went back and I bought some <laughs> more stuff. Oh, wow. Because he said, come through, come through, come through. So from that... Well, first, the universe really helped you. Right. <laughs> Do you know, I've said this many times. I believe that my nanny Mannion really, really, really helped especially in the latter parts of my prison sentences uh in the beginning looking back now at the the amount of what people would say is a coincidence and just for the record something else i've studied is called etymology which is the study of words and the reason i studied etymology is because i also studied something called legalese which i don't know if you're familiar with it's, it's to do with common law law of the land god's law nature's law okay and the reason i studied that was because um i had some issues with the courts in england which i had done nothing wrong i knew i wasn't in the wrong however they was there was all these threats this was nothing to do with going with prison this was this actually started from a speeding fine a speeding ticket which i hold my hands up the ticket was mine what happened next there was no justification for what was initially a 30 pound ticket from what I was being threatened with. So anyway, I ended up studying something called legalese, which is the, it's the language, uh, uh, lawyers, solicitors, barristers, judges, police. Police don't know much of it. They're just taught. Police are like the first line of how legalese is delivered to me and you, the normal people on the street. What comes next though, with the prison systems, court systems, is a complete different, and people, again, this is really, I know this is the same in Holland as well, funny enough, mm. is people need to look into this. So there in England, there is a, a set of books. They're called the Black's Law Dictionaries. And there's about 11 or 12 editions now to this day. Now, those books are filled with English words like me and you would speak. However, the definition is the complete opposite of how we use it. And the wow. reason it's, it's used and why it's in place is because in England, they run, they still run on contract law and law of maritime, which is law of the sea. And the reason that they do this, this goes back to slavery. 
So when people are birth, they give birth in the birth canal. All of these references, if you look, they all refer to water and the sea because the laws of the sea are completely different from the laws of the land. They're two mm -hmm. different entities. Most people don't know this. So for, for example, in England, you have a legal system, police officer. You have a lawful system, police man or police mm -hmm. woman. So when you get stopped by the police, this is just a classic example. If they address themselves as officer, you are now in the realms of corporate law, contract law, mm. okay, which has nothing to do with your sovereignty of being a human being. Mm. It's to do with your birth certificate. So when, again, birth, you are birthed. Yeah. This is all to do, your birth certificate with a number. Yeah, Every course. birth certificate yeah. has a number, okay? Mm. What people don't, most people tend not to realize. Again, so I'm, I'm a father three times over. We lost our second child, Chet. However, he's still very much with us as a family. We see him all the time as a butterfly. And tr again, me saying that now, four years ago, if I heard me say it, I'd think he's gone crackers. He's lost his mind. But that's the truth. Wow. And my point is, I've celebrated three times that... <gasps> Oh my God, birth certificate, because, you know, such an amazing thing. And, you know, you write your name. That birth certificate is exactly the same format as the slave bonds that have wow. always been there. It's the same thing. And this, funnily enough, before mm. we went live, I know I'm jumping around a bit, but do you remember I said to you mm. in England, if your child is under 16, you lose all rights when it comes to, in the cancer world, so mm. people, I will get to the point where this, I'm a cancer, a part of what I do as a soul coach is I work with people with cancer. Done it for 10 years, and, and this is really important because it's relevant, and it, this shows you how all of this ties in. All of it ties mm. in. So when you sign a birth certificate, at the bottom, and again, I encourage people out there, go and look at your birth certificate for you and go and look at the birth certificate for your children. At the top, you'll find that your name is printed in capital letters. So my name is James Edward Mannion. It's in uppercase capital letters. Then at the bottom, the second part of the birth certificate, you're then asked to give over your soul by signing your signature no. to consent that James Edward Mannion, who is your legal fictional entity and this is none of this is conspiracy none of this is far-fetched this is how the legal system works in the uk this is how social services can exist if you think about it if you zoom out from being a human being and being a mum and a dad in what world could there be a group of people that by some form of law could come and take your kids for no reason you'd say no that's impossible well, unfortunately, it's made possible mm. when we sign our children over mm. to the state when they're born. Wow. And that's how it works. We sell our soul already when we come into this world, actually. That's so crazy. And the thing is, anyway, I, I don't know. I want to get back on subject. <laughs> There's so much because this is what I mean. Everything. Let me, I'll go back to my where I was in the story. So I come out of prison. I've been I've been trained to be a criminal. I've made good friends uh, that are high level criminals. So I got involved in crime. This time I actually really got involved in crime. What I went to prison for 
Here's an interesting caveat on that note. What I actually went to prison for, and you can look this up, it was called, it was a Section 18 Joint Enterprise. That is the name of the charge that I went for. Now listen to this for ridiculous nonsense. Oh, here this it comes. law only applied if there was three people involved. So if it was just me and one of my assailants, we couldn't have got charged for this. If there was four of us, we couldn't have got charged for this. If there was, because there was three of us, this specific law, which was quite new at that point, um, was if we can't prove who did it, whoever we catch, because remember I said, I d it wasn't just me that ran off, the other guy ran off as well. The guy that did what, what the actual charge was, he ran off as well. In fact, he stayed where, where he went, and I don't think he's ever come back. Wow. So because there was three of us, and I got called, like I said, I came back to England after leaving Ireland. Someone saw me. They contacted, that, they contacted the police. I got stopped one day by the police. I had a fake license and everything. But because they knew I was already, they just said, look, James, we know it's you. So got arrested. My point is that charge joint enterprise around five or six years ago, hold on, 2023, even eight years ago, it actually got pulled out of the law books. They said, actually, do you know what? We can't justify it. And hundreds wow. and hundreds and hundreds of people got let out of prison because like me, they, they, I'm not saying I was totally innocent. I was, it was a fight. What actually happened, what I went to prison for, I went there with one of my best friends at the time who was black. And when we was at this party, everything was fine. And then this group of older kids that were clearly like skinhead type, uh, you know, mm. identified. And my friend, Anthony, he was good looking. It, well, I say he's black, he was mixed race. His mum was Irish, which is why we went to Ireland. Mm. And his dad was Jamaican. So it was really good looking lad, really tall. Uh, both of us were at that point, we was playing football uh, together as well for a good team. So we, we had a lot going for us. In that one night, that changed both of our lives. And what happened was, Anthony was drunk. I wasn't drunk. Anthony was drunk. So yes, he was being a bit flirtatious with the girls, but that was it. He wasn't picking on anyone. He wasn't being... But this group of lads that turned up that was a bit older, they, they completely uh, started, um, you know, they, they, they picked on Anthony. They saw him as a target. And mm. I actually said to Anthony, let's go. Let's get, I could feel the energy change, mm. you know. Now, now looking back, now knowing and, and growing and, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. It wasn't it, like jealousy or? It, jealousy coated with racism mm. because the, the, the names they called him, they were clearly being racist uh, mm. as well. So there was that, which again, it's such a stupid, blind hatred. What the fuck is racism? It's, it's so nonsense. You know, when you think someone's colour, we can have it. But my point is, so um, I, I, I'd left. I went out of the house. Anthony, the last thing he said to me was, I'm just quickly going to the toilet. So I said, be quick. Let's go. Let's just get out of it. And this house was only, I could walk to my house in about seven or eight minutes. It's just around the corner from where I've grown up my whole life. I knew everyone there. I just didn't know these other people that had turned up. Mm. So I'm standing there. I'm talking to the girl, Rose, whose birthday it was. I'm saying goodbye. And the next thing I know, you just hear a scream. I turn around and there's Anthony on the floor. And it's like one of them horrible scenes where, you know, people are trying to stamp on him mm. and kick him. So uh, anyway, I run over, helped him. My, my point is... That honestly is what I went to prison for. So I was helping my friend who was oh getting attacked God. and ended up because 
what happened next, which again, which I will share. So this, and again, I, I've shared this story many times. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I got stuck in my ego because I went, I helped my friend up. We managed to run out of there. And I just said, let's run, let's get away. Let's just run. And me, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in flight mode. Remember you said before about mm. fight? I'm in flight. <laughs> I'm not in fight mode. I'm in flight mode. I was mm. scared. There was loads of them. They was beating us up. We just, you know, I got kicked in the face. We managed to get, I'm thinking at that point, mm. yes, we're away. Like at least yeah. we got away. Let's, and, but Anthony, because he's drunk and because of his ego, he's like, we're, we're going back. We're going back. I'm saying, what do you mean we're going back? We can't go back. You know, we just got mm. beat up. No, we're going to go, go to your mum's. Um, we're going to get some weapons and we're going to go back. And oh. every part of me, every part of me was saying, no, no, we're not. No, Auntie, please, let's not. But of course, my ego, I wasn't going to be the coward or not back. Oh, all right, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. So anyway, we went home. I ended up stealing my mum's car. I ended up taking my mum's car to drive back to the place. And do you remember I said before about that charge being for three people? Mm. I phoned one of my other best friends, Adam Panais, who was nothing. And to this day, there's, I'm one of these people that I don't regret anything in life. However, the choice I made to phone Adam, although it was still his choice to come and help us, I still put that choice at his door. And to this day, mm. I feel so guilty and ashamed about it because me and him grew up like brothers. Mm. And this really divided us. Yeah. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, I can't call him my best friend anymore. And that's on me. It's my decision. But I called up Adam because Adam's younger brother and my younger brother were going to that party. So now there was the fear of if they get to this party and the people that have just beaten us up, someone says, oh, look, there's James's younger brother. Like, I'm now thinking, and I know he's, mm -hmm. he, my, bro my brother Paul, uh, and his friend Mitchell, Mitchell was Adam's younger brother. So um, I said to Adam, look, I think potentially your brother might be in a bit of bother. We've just been at a party. We got beat up. Paul and Mitchell are together. Um, and anyway, so Adam came round, bless him. He drove round to my house. He got in my mum's car. We drove in my mum's car. We went back to the party. And what happened was when we went back to the party, Anthony, um, it, he ended up hitting someone with something uh, and he could have killed him basically and i never forget because we got arrested that night we actually mm. got arrested the night it happened we were, and we got put in a uh, uh obviously prison cell in forest Gate police station and i'll never forget it because in the cell the, the police officers that had arrested us they were still walking around outside and we could hear the other officers that were at the scene that were saying uh, ambulance has been called, um, young man, uh, serious head injuries. And then all of a sudden, I, I had this horrific feeling is, what if this kid dies? That yeah. I, it wasn't even fear for me at that point. I, I couldn't believe, you know, my mum and dad, bless them, although no, no mum and dad are perfect. I'm not a perfect dad. So no, no one is, but they tried their hardest. And, one thing they taught me was, you know, love and kindness and, and respect. And, and, and to think that I was in that cell, potentially involved to some extent in someone getting killed. Like, it, I was so, I was sick. I was of just course, yeah. fear, shame, guilt, 
just yeah surreal not just i can't believe this has happened so anyway that that's what i went to 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 prison for when i got out of prison as i said um uh i'd been trained in crime i got involved in working with a couple of lads that was uh, part of uh, quite a large drugs cartel that was moving drugs out of Liverpool uh, and a port down south of England. So, because obviously the port areas uh, are big areas for drugs coming importing and exporting. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, I was working uh, with uh, Fitness First, the one I told you about, in the Cotton Centre in Tooley Street. So, I had this lovely, legitimate lifestyle going on training mm. people with fitness managing fitness uh and at the same time um helping move lots of drugs uh so so you had like a double life absolutely yeah. it was completely at that point that you you couldn't got a bigger contrast in and I, again it's really funny I, I my big thing now with people is talking about something which is referred to as homeostasis which i, I know you're familiar with mm. For those that aren't familiar with that word, I'm not being patronising here. This is one of my favourite words in the world. I had to learn what it meant. In regards to your body, it means just balance. And what I've found in life everywhere, it is always balance. And that is a positive and negative charge of balance. Even in the earthing, the way the earth emits energy into the human electrical body, there's a balance of negative and positive, and it's the same in everything else, in our lives, in our relationships. I'm married. In my marriage, there's good bits and there's bad bits. I'm a dad. Being a father, there's good bits and it's in everything. It's when we deny the balance and get caught too much in what we think is the expectancy of how we're supposed to perform in that role, that's a massive imbalance in itself. There can't be any expectancies. If you're present in what you're doing, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. You just got to keep present and it covers you across the board. And, and going back to that experience, I was fitness first. I was winning awards, top salesman, getting up on stage, going to, what was the name? There was some big event that they called hey, all the managers in that I got, got invited to. And it was when Amir Khan, the boxer, was like world champion. He was there. Was like, so, so all of that was really, really positive. And mom, my mum was so proud of me. Um, <laughs> And at the same time, certain nights after leaving the gym, I'd be going to different houses in South London and working from maybe 12 o'clock at night, nonstop till half five in the morning, packaging and getting drugs ready to go out and then go and open the gym again in, in London. Often, not only, you know what it's like when lack of sleep, You're, you, mm. you, you, it's a really strange experience and you, you start. It's a little bit of high feeling. Yeah. Right, because yeah. there's chemicals that you st that start kicking in because your body state changes. So um, it was that mixed with when when we was working with these drugs, we had the full PPE, gas mask, all the suit, gloves. Even still, because of the amount of vapor of vape, yeah, vapor of these drugs that was in the air, I would still be high as a kite on the drugs not slept but it was wow. when i look back on it now i just think oh god the damage at that point i would have done to my body um because i i am for the record i've never been into drugs yes i smoked a bit of cannabis when i was younger i went through a phase like i did ib for once and i realized actually them sort of drugs aren't for me ecstasy okay. <laughs> uh, um and uh, what was it ecstasy molly it was when molly uh mandy was coming around uh, mdma so I tried a, a couple of bits and pieces, but never been massive into drugs. No, it's just not, not been my thing. I don't drink, I've stopped drinking um, 
in honesty, I have problems with drink that goes back to, as I said, alcohol was what was used to groom me. And yeah. when you're introduced to alcohol at a young age, for me, and I know other people, since being open with my experience as a child, I've actually coached mm. other men and women that have been abused and alcohol was used. And funnily enough, in their later life, when they would go out and get drunk, sometimes they'd be, sometimes they'd be absolutely fine. And other mm. times, it's like a switch. They wouldn't remember anything. They'd wake up. And I used to wake up. Some of the stuff I'd done, uh, it's awful when you think back on it. I'd wake up and I would be in a prison cell. Uh, and this is after being let out of prison. I got done for drunk driving. And I couldn't even remember what I'd done, how I'd driven home. None of that. So I, I could have killed someone. That's yeah, the truth of it. Yeah. That is the absolute... Yeah. I could have I run over a child. And, and I'm not excusing it by saying... Oh, yeah, but that's because when I was younger, I got abused. That's not the point. Again, mm -hmm. I, I've worked with the, the human anatomy for many years now, and there's certain things in regards to chemicals. And again, this goes back to balance, that it just is. If you introduce a chemical which then is linked to a trauma, so alcohol being abused, what happens is, especially when you don't talk about it, I didn't talk about it for 27 years, when you don't talk about it, it builds a pattern within you. And we're made up of patterns and habits. And a lot of them yeah. are bad and a lot of them are subconscious. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, inside of me, there was always this correlation which would come sometimes rear its ugly head with alcohol and pain and shame and hurt. And it was in those times where, as I would not, rem to this day, there, I, I still remember, I can name the times that this has happened but what had happened in between me being the last, what do I remember last? I was just drinking, I was, I was fine, I was having a talk, and then bang, wake up the next morning. If it's not a prison cell, it's my wife looking at me, shouting at me, I'm leaving you. Like, like I, I have, mm. I'm not, claim, I, I'm Jade a soul coach, and the reason, again, like I said, I can claim to be a soul coach is I am as flawed as anyone. Mm. Absolutely, I'm imperfect as anybody else, so I'm not trying to claim to be more knowledgeable, more profound, uh, more caring, not at all. I needed to do what the journey I'm on now, for me first. I needed mm. to face all of this shit that I'd been holding on to. And going back to the alcohol, that was something for me. I mean, that's, um, I would have lost my wife and kids if I'd have carried on drinking. Now, it's not because every time I drunk, I got drunk, far from it. It was just that sometimes you said the word trigger before. Yeah. Yeah. something got triggered mm -hmm. and it's so subconscious i genuinely i mean i've 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 aired all of my laundry people i've now when i tell my story the reason i tell my story especially for example when i'm working with the british army you've got 250 soldiers sitting in front of you to break down barriers very quick you need to incorporate your honest being straight away because it gives mm -hmm. a foundation of oh okay all right that you know he's not he's not trying to be He's just basically showed us that, you know, I, I got abused or I, I had a problem. It yeah. gives it something that someone can say, oh, yeah, you're not, you're not here to teach me something. Yeah. That's so important. But I think also just by being you is already inspiring. That's very kind yeah. of you to say. Yeah, it's true. I would say personally that every, and I mean this, uh, absolutely. In fact, this is, so I've got, I've, got a, I've got a couple of slogans, like on my T-shirt, mm -hmm. be your best self. That's yeah. one of the things I tell my kids every single day. I tell my kids. Always be your best self. What that it means, by the way, is always, and this is beautifully backed 
by the law of nature. So I'm a big fan of, of nature and mother nature because when I studied science, I studied something called heliocentrism. <clears throat> and in science, you've got two forms of science. You've got science that's based on theories. Now, what theories are are ideas. And yes, they might sound fascinating and amazing. However, they are ideas. They're not based on fact. Everything in mother nature is based on laws. The law of nature. It absolutely is. In fact, there's a scientific method of experimentation, which is the only method that can be used to find empiricism. Because, of course, the pinnacle of any scientific experiment is to find if it's empirical. Once it becomes mm. empirical, it's fact. It is like the air we breathe. <sighs> That's mm. a fact that you can pass that through the scientific experimentation every time you can repeat it. You can try and prove it wrong, but it will always be <sighs> we breathe in Mother Nature's oxygen. <sighs> we give it back poison and then it gives us back oxygen. That's fascinating. Mm. So that's a law. And when I started studying uh, the laws, uh, when I started studying, I went from science, basically more what I'd say is a pseudoscience to the, the laws of science like the human body, which all started when my uncle got sick with cancer, which I was telling you about before. Mm. That started this new, this new thirst of, for all the right reasons, I wanted my uncle to get better. At that point, the mainstream options weren't working for it. So he, mm. he made a decision that, do you know what, and talk about being present, I need to... I need to do something for myself to be my best self, basically. It, again, I wouldn't have said it back then, but that's what he was demonstrating. His truest self, his best self, which was, I am enough to deal with what I've got. He wasn't in a submissive state going to the doctors. And a disclaimer, I'm not saying I've got anything against doctors or nurses or people that choose to help other people prevent them suffering. I tip my hat to everyone. What I do have a problem with is is the cancer system being a business, which mm. it absolutely is. And yeah. when you're not in, and the beautiful thing is, in fact, I'm now proud to say I'm not only friends with, um, but worked and will be working with on the retreat, a really well-known Dutch doctor called oh. Mariah Berkeler, who is the online, she's, you might have seen on Instagram, she's the- Yeah, I think so, yeah. The, Sounds really familiar. Right, so, and again, this is the beauty of working in my, what I've done for the last, 10 years especially since covid mm. covid they 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 rattled a hornet's nest there everybody yes, woke up in that time <laughs> right it was interesting right yeah. so for me that i'd been looking at stuff i started waking up if you like at 9 11 when the, the twin towers got hit that changed something in me mm. and i started studying and that's that when all these changes everything is and to this day it's all the other stuff like I said, the studying of the natural science, studying of heliocentrism. And if people don't know what heliocentrism is, for me, this is an extremely important topic. Considering that they teach our kids and they taught us this in school as well, as often as fact. So heliocentrism is the story that, in layman's terms, that we all started from an accident. So there's no meaning to our beginnings because heliocentrism is the story of gas colliding in space millions and millions and millions of years ago and a big bang happening and then all this stuff just happened mm -hmm. now if you look at that from and I, I, to be honest when i studied that i studied that again to disprove religion so i wanted mm -hmm. when i studied that i was like right again a lot of the a lot of it was begrudgment towards my father mm -hmm. i had a lot of begrudgment towards my father because i felt it was mainly him that had enforced religion 
Yeah. Which then led to other bits and pieces. So my point is when I started studying heliocentrism, which people call the Big Bang Theory, mm. <clears throat> I was doing it not to, to, to prove anything other than, ah, now I can tell you why God's bullshit and all of this stuff. But then I started studying and I was like, hold on, this is so contradictory. This is, this is full of hypocrisies. It's all based on theories. The only laws that was involved were natural laws, so they could be tested. So I went through this shift of realizing, hold on, there's, 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 a, there's something in this. They're teaching all of us, in essence, if you subscribe, and this is, again, there's not a gray area. You either believe that there's a creator, which gender, again, that's just something we say. It's ridiculous. Either they're, I like to say a designer, because in, in my experience of being a human being, what I love is and again, you look at nature, is the design in what we experience. For example, there is, and there is hundreds of these, so many examples of opening up different fruits or different vegetables. If you cut them in half mm. and look at them, they will mirror the structure of the brain, of the heart, mm. of the lungs. And it just so happens that those nutrients and extracts from those fruit and veg, when you put into the human body, they help the heart, the brain. Mm. The lung. That's not an accident. That's a design. We experience that. And yeah. if there's a design, there has to be a designer, which mm -hmm. then when I went through that whole big bang bollocks of what they said, what it was, I was left with, my God, maybe my dad was right. And that was hard mm -hmm. for my ego because at that point I'm thinking I didn't uh, attribute a religion to it. I was thinking that that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Th Mother nature for me, mother nature for me covers it. Like, I love that mm. because the truth is when it comes to creation, yes, there needs to be a balance of masculine and feminine energy. Absolutely. Mm. However, where does the actual nurturing creation process happen? And what of the two energy sources, which one can actually then nurture male or female energy? It's, it's the feminine. Mm. It comes from... Like people talk about the tree of life. Look mm. into that. There's a lot of interest yeah. in science behind where all this stuff comes from. And mm. that female, I, I talk about my, with my wife this, uh, about this subject all the time. And I remember when she was, when she was pregnant with Leo and I, I was fascinated. I, I would be asking her, what's it feel like? When he, she, oh, she, I was jealous. I was <laughs> jealous. There's something called sympathy pregnancies that apparently, again, silly label, but, um, they always say, like, we are pregnant, right? Yeah, right. So <laughs> one of the things I did, and my wife always will bring this up, is uh, she say, yeah, you got fat with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I ate with her throughout that pregnancy. But I was genuinely fascinated with the fact that I was watching. And I always wanted to be a dad. I, I'd, one, of, one of my first intentions I'd ever set without even knowing it was an intention was, I want to be a dad by the time I'm 30. I don't know where that came from, wow. but it was from a young, young age. And of course, I became a dad at 30. Mm -hmm. um, but I really wanted to be a dad. So I was very much into asking questions. How does it feel at these points? And, mm -hmm. and my point is, is when we accept, going back to the point with, with nature, when we, when we accept, and going back to the point actually of the message of just how special we are, how unique we are, the fact that, and again, this is backed up, by science they say there's eight billion of us currently on this plane that we live on now there's only one of you and that's a fact so it means there's never been another one of you before 
There will never be another one of you again and there's not another one of you now. So you can say to yourself with a knowing that I am the only me that ever was, is and will be. That in itself covers you in every eventuality because it means logically you can only ever be the best version of yourself. You can only ever be your best self. And it means in every situation, if you just accept yourself and the choice in being you and being happy in yourself, it actually means that you're enough. And as a coach, that's one of the things that is the common denominator. I work with people with terminal illnesses, adults and kids. I work, with, I work in schools now out here in Spain. I work in the British, uh, the international school where my son used to go to. Um, I work with, I'm really proud to say I'm the first human being that does what I do that is now working with uh, regiments in the British Army. I've worked with, I trained in mental health for nearly 20 years because my younger brother, Paul, the one I referred to earlier, as I said, he had a really bad mental breakdown. Another intention I set at a young age, because I was too young to do anything about it when Paul first got sick. But something, again, childlike logic in me told me, why are they giving him medicine for his mind? It's not a bone. Like, I knew the stuff, you know, it's not tangible. They can't fix it by giving him liquid or pills. That didn't make any sense to me. And sure yeah. enough, the drugs Paul got put on, which were experimental drugs at the time, it's called clozapine, he can never come off of now. And it's mm. going to shorten his life uh, span. Like, there's all yeah. this shit that comes from this stuff, which, again, how it all plays, plays a part in everything. It's, it's, it's going back to that point that once you accept that in every situation, just choosing to be happy in being yourself, that, and you know, again, I'll tell you what gives credence to this, the amazing people even now i'm working there's a lovely lady i'm not going to say your name she was on the breathing session that you joined mm. um that two months ago about two months ago now was, has been told she only had has got three to six months to live i've yeah. started working with an irish fella i've done his uh, class last night in fact if i had my phone i'd read i've got a message from his wife today and it to this day one of the best parts about what i do is the fact that the novelty has never worn off. So every time I get a message from, often from a loved one, that says, oh my God, James, this has happened, that's happened, this has changed. Thank you so much. Yes, of course, it feels good. It feels amazing. And it's even, it's even better when I'll get a phone call. I'm in the car with Leo and Aaliyah. That's my two kids. Shout out to my wonderful kids and my wife, Gazelle. And I'll be in the car with the kids and someone will ring and I'll just pop it on like the car phone. Uh, or, it'll be a, or it'll be a WhatsApp message and it'll be someone like, Jay, oh my God, this has happened. These results are coming. It's amazing. Thank you, sir. And my kids hear it. And I'm like, and I said to my son the other day, I said, son, if there's one thing, one thing, because I'm not a perfect dad, that I want you to remember is when you hear them, because I, I could see my son smiling. I could see my little girl in the back, like just listening. And because they know what I do. I've explained to them what I do because mm. it's important for me to be open with my kids. Uh, it's important to say sorry to my kids. Like there's a lot of stuff that I didn't experience as a child that I, I made just funny. And again, there's, and that's not me saying my mum and dad are bad. Everyone, the parents makes mistakes. And we, we as a kid experience it. And then when I have a kid, I'm not going to do that. But there's loads of other things that I do that Leo and Leo will say, do you know what? My dad did that. I didn't like it. I'm going to do it this way. That's fine. That's that balance again. But one thing I, w I wanted him and I want Aaliyah to to always know and chair um, is, is, that, is that dad helped people help themselves because it's one thing saying, I don't claim to be a healer, by the way. I'm not a healer. 
what I am is someone who shared information after observing people that have been in the ultimate position. You've got two weeks to live. You've got six months to live. You've got a year to live. And I've seen by sharing some information that just so happens, it's not my information. I didn't make this stuff up. This is stuff that got, I, le- I was learning this stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. And by sharing that information, what you give to that individual is something that in that situation that they're currently in is the most valuable thing they could have, which is a choice. Mm-hmm. Because prior to that information, which they didn't know about, they was only being told one narrative and one thing, mm-hmm. and they didn't like it, and it wasn't ending well. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, someone goes, well, look, have you seen this? Have a look. I'm not saying it, there's no guarantees here. I'm just saying, have a look. Have a look. Well, have you got any references? Well, yeah, funny enough, I have. You know, even people that will talk to you and tell them the journey that they've gone on. And then all of a sudden, for that individual, a shift happens. And you referred to something earlier called placebo. Mm -hmm. Now, what most people don't realize is for those of you that might struggle, and this is me included, before, trust me now, I'm not a tree hugger, but I am. (laughs) I'm proud of it now. I am absolutely like, I don't sound like a tree hugger. In fact, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons I've done well with the British army is I don't sound like a hippie running in there saying, love and kindness, everyone. That's not my approach. My Mm. approach is a mix of, look, look, yeah, I can give you the sight, which is why in that breathwork Mm. session, I said to you, the first five rounds is physical. Let's talk about what you're feeling in the body. Because yeah. then all of a sudden you're here with me. Now let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk mm. about love. Let's talk about kindness. Let's talk about gratitude. Yeah. Let's talk about your laughter, your smiling, your sadness, your grievance, which is all important emotions that mm. we hide because of our ego. So, oh shit, sorry, Joe, I lost my point. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, going back, placebo. Yes, mm. thank you. So placebo, when, when I started looking into medicine for uh, cancer for my uncle, one of the things that I came across uh, was placebo, which I didn't know what it was at that point. I had no idea. And then, so I was thinking, what is this? It kept coming up in the, because I, what I was doing, and it was really difficult, I was reading transcripts, which were lectures from doctors that were working outside of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And they was giving their alternative, still from the academic background, but they were just giving a different narrative. So um, I started listening to some of those and reading some of their their transcripts and placebo kept coming up and this is really important because this for any naysayers or any people that are doubting or if you've got cancer out there at the minute or if you know someone share this information with them because this will blow your mind every single time not just cancer drugs but we'll just stick with cancer drugs every single time cancer drugs are introduced which to put things in perspective there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new cancer drugs introduced every single year there has to be a specific trial of these drugs obviously before they're launched so it's all very logical stuff so bear with me keep that logic right so when they get these groups of people together normally there's three groups Group number one will be the group that are given the current best, so-called best cancer drug on the market. Group number two will be given the new spandangly, this is the chemo, this is the one. Still not offering it as a cure, by the way, because they're still selling you. We're still searching for the cure to cancer. That's the, and even mm-hmm. cure is a horrible word. But my point is, they're just telling you this one's a bit better. And then thirdly, and this is so important, there's a group that are specifically told by a doctor, 
Now you've got to bear in mind, these people often are terminal. They'll be terminal people because they're the people that sort of come the end of it. Uh, pretty, and again, I've witnessed this firsthand. When, when they've told you, right, look, there's nothing more we can do. However, there's this new experiment. We can't guarantee it's then sold to you as another. Yeah, it's another business model. Right. Yeah. And it's hope that they're selling hope. And I, I don't like this at all. But my point is, these third group are told, right, this is, this is the one. You're the, you're the group that are getting the new one. And, and we know this is going to work. And because the way most human beings live their life is, is in a state of something called cognitive dissonance. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that term at all? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is for people that aren't, it's, again, this just shows you the beauty of humanity. Most people are inherently good. Most of us are. Most of us want to be kind and want to be loving and great and grateful. So the way we hold them values so dear, it builds egotistically self-defense mechanisms, things like, oh, the government, of course, they're all good and they're for the people. Oh, of course, all doctors and all the medical systems are there to help us stop stuff. Of course, the education system is, is done to design for our kids to be innovative. Of course, the banking system is because it's such a big part of our makeup, these things mm. to think that no way covid is a scam it's like nope cognitive dissonance that can't be you're a nutcase that's the way that that we and it's not because they're ignorant it's not because they're nasty it's because a lot of it is driven by the fear that someone could be so horrible yeah now that state works massively when you get sick and i've seen this with cancer you Mm. go into a submissive state because at that stage all of a sudden a lot of the people that are told they've got cancer, sometimes they've had no signs, no symptoms whatsoever. And all of a sudden someone goes, oh, that cough, we've just found a tumour and you've probably got about six months to live. So all of a sudden your whole life has changed yeah. because you've gone in there. For, I thought it was a cough. Like I've worked with people, 34-year-old bloke, two, uh, yeah, two beautiful children and his missus, stomach pains, uh, just for total life, just, just a stomach, blah, blah, blah. Next, within a week, really sorry a couple of months to live is a stage four terminal balcony and again in an instant everything about him being himself being a dad being a all been taken away from him in an instant so you naturally go into a submissive state and going back to the that's so important to understand how placebo medicine works the people are often being placeboed like i said often at that point there's nothing else that can be done for them so they they're like fuck it I'll give it a go why yeah, not of course, and yeah. then it's not, your last chance yeah you think. and yeah. they're t- they're often told you know we're you know you could be in any group we don't know which group you're going to be in but of course the doctors know yeah. we're giving you the placebo yeah. so the doctor says right you're in this group you you and in a placebo ninety nine times out of hundred what they actually give them is sugar and water that's it they just mix sugar and water in a pill or in an injection and they put it into it and they say to them Right, that's it. This is, we're so confident. And again, people, I encourage you, go and look this up. Because, because of public domain and certain, even within the legal system, they can't hide anything. In the UK, you can find this stuff online. Just type in examples of placebo medicines and you'll find stories of people. And often, again, please fact check me on this. Go and have a look. Often, the, the placebo um, people will perform as good, if not better, than the others. Now, the, the importance of, of getting, what does that mean? It's not just, oh, it, it, what is this co- coincidence? No, understand what that means. That means that 
even if this had happened just one time with one human being in history, it's happening all the time, by the way, even if it was just once, what has actually happened there is because that human being, their mind is so submissive to the authority of a doctor that they've surrendered their knowledge. Like, doctor, you told me I'm going to die. Now you're yeah. going to tell me I'm going to live. Like, whatever you say, you're my God right now. They go into a totally submissive state. And all of a sudden, that submissive state has paid off because their God has said, there you go, James, that's the one that's fixed you. And you go, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Gratitude, gratitude changes your blood flow, switches on your immune system. Mm. It turns out that these people will then completely heal from terminal diseases. And like I said, if that just happened one time, there's so much in that that we should be looking at. Wow. This happens all the time, all the time. Yeah. And that placebo starts within yourself when you start choosing to be happy. Because initially, for those of you out there that might be feeling a little bit down, a bit of lack of self-worth, feeling a bit lost, what you're going to need to do initially, you're in your heads right now, you're in your egos. What you're going to need to do is play with your ego. Start trying to trick yourself. Because initially, me telling you to tell yourself, look in the mirror and say, I am happy, your mind's going to go, I'm not doing that, that's not going to do nothing. Right, I accept that. I was the same way. I was exactly the same. But go and do it and go and do it until you push your head right against that mirror and look in your eyes and start changing the narrative of what you're telling yourself in your mind. Because all the negative talk, that's all in your mind. On average, you're having 70 to 80,000 thoughts on a daily basis. That's your average adult from 35 to 65. 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. If anyone had a speech bar, in fact, if you walked around your workplace and all them people that you think have got it together and their life is so amazing, if you could have a speech bubble out of their brains on a daily basis, everyone in your office, everyone in your life, you would be sectioned with mental health issues because all of our minds are fucked up and that is absolutely fine. That is the way the mind is supposed to be. However, you have a choice. You can start observing how you think. And there's an important point to this, and I'll give you an example. Right now, you might be going, what is this guy talking about? He's talking a load of bollocks. Right, observe that thought. Don't let it go to another thought. And right now you've gone, what do you mean observe that thought? Observe that thought. Because in observation comes presence. And it's a fact. Whenever you observe anything in life, whether it be your thought, whether it be your finger, whether it be the smell of a loved one, the sound of the voice, as soon as you observe anything, you instantly become present in yourself. And for those of you that are feeling low on self-esteem, lack of worth, I can tell you this is a fact. That's all in your head. I told you earlier, you're the only you that ever was, is and will be. So you are absolutely special. You're unique. All you need to do is start making choices that are led by your happiness and observing those choices and the resulting feeling and start building new patterns. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> but I think it's all about taking responsibility too. Yeah. It has to be, doesn't yeah. it? Because yeah. if you're not accountable, you're not present. Yeah. What do we do? Oh, I feel shit because of the kids. I feel shit because of the wife. I feel shit because of the weather. What we tend to do is we tend to tell ourselves that anybody else has a choice in how we feel. Bollocks. The There's only, only one problem. That's you. Always. But that gives you the accountability. Then yeah. knowing, okay, if I'm, again, if you're hearing that, you're going, no, it's my, it's my husband. He's doing this. It's my job. It, 
We will give every excuse to try and hide the fact that, like you said, accountability is ours. Because mm. then our ego will say, well, then you've got to blame yourself. No, 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 no. Don't blame yourself. Accept yourself. Because as soon as you start becoming accountable for the fact that it's you that are choosing to attribute a negative feeling to that thought that you keep choosing to get run around in your head. As soon as you can accept that accountability and take ownership of that, that means, right, so I'm choosing that. It means you've got another choice. People turn around, this is one of the most common things that I can debunk in a second. I'm stuck in this relationship. I'm stuck in this job. I'm stuck. You are never stuck in anything you're choosing to stick. And that is, again, that is not being clever. I'm not trying to be profound. That is the way the human experience works. You can't get stuck in something. You can only choose to stick at any second, at any point. You can always look left. Because we spoke about Wayne Dyer earlier. One of the most famous and one of my favorite quotes from Wayne Dyer, and I take this in life, is if you want things to change, then you simply change the way you look at things. And that absolutely covers the experience. Mm. When we think we're stuck, when we, we're trying to blame someone else, I tell my son all the time, son, you choose your feelings. It'll cut, how do you, I was school today, oh, that was good, but such and such said this, and I said that, and then you start telling me, and I listen, I listen. I said, okay, but mate, who, who chose to feel the way you're feeling now? Oh, it was because, now, son, I understand you've told me the why you made a choice because of what happened, but who made the choice? I did. And again, that's something I want my kids to know because if they absolutely know, and that means when you make bad choices, that means when you have a negative outcome to one of your choices, you still take ownership of it. And it also means on the antithesis side of that, that when you make the good choices and you get the positive outcome, you take ownership of that. If you, again, that goes back to that balance. It's you, you are good and you are bad. Anyone who says I'm totally good, you're talking nonsense. There's a balance. Yeah. It's just the way the experience works. Amazing. I think actually this is the perfect ending for the podcast. I feel that I can talk with you for hours. <laughs> but <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm going to invite you again for the podcast. Definitely. Because... Do you know, apologies because I, I, the thing is with me, I jump around a lot. <laughs> no, it's parts okay. Of the, uh, uh, no, the story. You shared so many knowledge, so it's, it's really nice. And if anybody is interested in Jay's work, you have to go to jaythesoulcoach.com, right? That's it, yeah, jaythesoulcoach.com, yeah. And I will put also your social media in the description. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, do you maybe have some nice words to share with the audience before we leave? Something I said to Joy, first and foremost, I mean this. I've really enjoyed this. One of the things we said before, we, me and Joy was talking before we came live in fact we had a good chat before we came live was the importance of having meaningful conversations and when you do even if you meet someone for the first time and even if you never met them again sometimes you just have to share that conversation with someone where you know that they are totally totally listening to you because they're interested in your presence in that moment and then they'll come back and then you that shared energy exchange is re-energizing it's revitalizing we're the only creatures to have been blessed with vocal cords to communicate with language, which is just noise. So I said to Joy at the start of this, that the one message that I wanted to get across today, because of all the stuff that I've studied, I've not even spoken about half of it today, to be honest, because there's so much more, but everything I've studied, I've read loads of books, which I'm really proud to say. However, what I've learned, especially recently, is everything about your experience is down to you choosing to be happy 
with the fact that you get the opportunity to be you every single day and nobody else, no one else ever has, ever will again have that opportunity that you get on a daily basis. So choose to be happy. That's the message. Mm -hmm. And being unapologetically you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> love that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Never, ever, ever apologize for being you. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely love that. Thank well, you very much. That yeah. was really good. Thank you uh, for coming. And thank you everyone for listening. And I will see you in the next one.